Good morning. For those of you who may not know me, I am Bill Powell. I'm a member of this parish. Thank you to Jeannie for the invitation to preach today, and I'm so glad to meet Patricia for the first time. I'm glad that she is joining Brandon and Jeannie here at St. Paul's. Welcome. I'm happy to report that Jesse Dodson is firmly grasping the baton in the handoff as canon to the ordinary in the Diocese of Ohio. There are two of us for the next couple of weeks. She and I overlapped this month before I stepped down on September 1st, but I'll continue to be around as the chancellor to the diocese as a volunteer, which I did for several years before joining the staff. This is the first of two gospel readings about Jesus in a boat in the stormy weather. The other story has Jesus on the boat with the disciples, and the storm is raging around him while Jesus sleeps. He wakes up, calms the storm. We are talking about the other story because this is the one where Jesus is not on the boat with the disciples. Why, you may ask? Because Jesus has just fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. And our reading today refers to it briefly. Jesus dismissed the crowds and went up to pray. He was probably protecting the disciples from the many people who would have wanted him or the disciples to do more miracles. So he made the disciples get on a boat and go on ahead to the other side. While Jesus is praying, a storm comes up on the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples are in the boat, battered by the waves, far from the land, and the wind was against them a trifecta of maritime misery. No wonder the disciples are afraid. My newest son-in-law grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania, and Sandra and I had the great pleasure of spending time with him and his family last week and seeing where Brandon grew up in a family of sailors. And I had the opportunity to speak with his uncle, who is an experienced sailor on the Great Lakes. I asked him what it's like to be on Lake Erie in rough weather. And he said that it's very treacherous because of the relatively shallow depth of the lake. And that causes a higher frequency of waves. So when a storm kicks up, the distance between the wave crests is quite short. So that creates very deep troughs and very treacherous on the lake. And that's very different from other Great Lakes wave action and also the ocean swells. So, he described to me a story of it was a particularly difficult night sail from Buffalo to Erie in a, in a storm and against the wind, and he said it was very harrowing. So it is no doubt that uh, you can imagine what that was like. I certainly can be fearful of what that was like. Maybe some of you have had the same experience on a boat. The point is, all that story, is that the disciples were in a tight spot. They were scared and full of doubt. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were all experienced fishermen. However, they probably would not have gone out on a boat at night and then stayed on the water during a storm, especially being told to do so. So no wonder that they thought they saw a ghost when Jesus comes toward them on the water. When the ghost speaks, the disciples realize that it is Jesus, and he tells them, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. So what is Peter's reaction? He says, Lord, 
if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Notice the if. Peter seems to be asking for Jesus' credentials. He's still afraid. As we approach the scripture today, I wonder how we might feel in a similar situation and how this story might speak to us, especially if we find ourselves in a period of chaos or instability. Peter is indeed the focus of this story, just as he was last week with the story of the Transfiguration. He often seems to be the one who says or does the most human things, as he did on the mountaintop last week, when he said, the first thing we need to do is build three tents. Or here, when he says to Jesus, command me to walk across the water to you. Why does he respond that way? Consider these observations from, about Peter from two Luther Seminary professors. Rolf Jacobson suggests that instead of leaving the boat, why wouldn't Peter have just asked for another miracle, like calm the storm? Remember, they had all just seen him feed 5,000 a moment ago. Instead, Peter says, command me to walk across the water to you. Having been sent on the boat by Jesus and perhaps feeling abandoned by him, Peter's first desire, his first response to the crisis, says Jacobson, is to want to be close to Jesus. Professor Caroline Lewis says that the absence of Jesus from the boat causes the disciples to be terrified because they may be asking, is Jesus going to leave them? We can imagine ourselves on a boat in a storm or being buffeted by another kind of uncertainty, whether it be job insecurity or a health challenge. We may be fearful that Jesus is going to abandon us in our time of distress. So Peter does step off the boat towards Jesus, starts to sink, and cries out, Lord, save me! And Jesus immediately catches him and calms the waters. You of little faith, Jesus says, why did you doubt? All the disciples worship Jesus at that point, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Peter and the others learn that Jesus did not abandon them. Bishop Jake Owensby, who is the bishop of of the Diocese of Western Louisiana, observes that this experience teaches Peter that Jesus is with him in the storm and is also with us in the midst of things, even our worst things. We are not alone in these situations. Let's turn to Elijah, who finds himself in a dire situation on dry land. He is very much alone and uncertain about the future because he has just defeated many false prophets who were loyal to Queen Jezebel, and he is on the run, fearing for his life. Queen Jezebel has decided to take revenge on him. He is by himself, in distress, and is told by the Lord to stand on the mountain, for the Lord is about to pass by. There follows a great wind, an earthquake, and fire, but the Lord is not in any of these. It's only in the sound of sheer silence that causes Elijah to cover his face, he is overwhelmed by the presence of God. Now, for those of us of a certain age, it's hard not to hear the phrase sound of sheer silence without thinking of Simon and Garfunkel, their iconic song, and the initial lyric, which I won't sing for you, Hello, darkness, my old friend, I've come to talk with you again. Here, Elijah is in listening mode. 
I found it very helpful to look at some of the other translations because I thought this one was rather distracting. Here are some other versions of that phrase in other versions of scripture, of the, uh, the Bible translations. A still small voice is in the King James and Revised Standard Version. Others use the phrase, a sound of a low whisper, a gentle whisper, a soft breath, or even a gentle blowing. These other translations help me understand that God is not only in the powerful forces of nature, but also in the gentle presence of a still small voice or a gentle blowing. Elijah eventually received his instructions from God, but he needed to wait for the wind, earthquake, and fire to pass. The common thread running through these translations is the presence of God that we can discern when we pray or when we are still. My predecessor, uh, as canon to the ordinary, Alan James, once preached a, a children's sermon, which obviously resonated with this adult, when he said that praying is like using a walkie-talkie. You press the button to talk, but you have to release the button in order to hear the response. In this case, to hear God's response. We don't always get an immediate response when we release the button, but it's important we listen in order to hear the still small voice. Dire situations will come again to all of us in our lives. Perhaps you find yourself in one today, and hopefully these scriptures can speak to you. Wherever we may find ourselves in need, we can realize and take comfort is that God is with us always. We are never alone, whether in the storm or in the still, small silence. Amen.